You know, uh, I think it was last week, it might have been the week before, uh, started a mini-series called Reinventing Ourselves. And I tied it to the Jewish New Year, talked about how people make resolutions, but the Jewish New Year, it's not like a calendar New Year, it's a spiritual New Year. And so I thought, you know, we could do that too. We could make some spiritual resolutions. And how would Jesus want us to behave? And that kind of helped us dive into the Sermon on the Mount, which of course here in Luke is on the plain, so it's the Sermon on the Plain. And uh, I talked to you about reinventing ourselves, and I gave you some specifics from Luke chapter 6. First one I told you is we should pray for our enemies. Because the whole overarching idea was love. Love one another. But there were specifics. Pray for our enemies, turn the other cheek, and lend generously without demanding it back. And I realize if we pray for others, prayer starts with a P. Turn the other cheek, turn starts with a T. And lend generously, lend starts with an L. We've got P-T-L. Praise the Lord. It's a good way to live, isn't it? And then I recognized Jesus had much more to say on how to love people. So today we're going to look at some more specifics on how to love people. I'm still in Luke chapter 6. Here's what he said, verses 36 and 37. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And don't judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now, when I first looked at this, I thought, okay, he just gave four new commandments back to back. Be merciful, don't judge, don't condemn, forgive others. But the closer I looked at it, the more I wanted to change my perspective. I don't really see this as four commandments anymore. I see it as one commandment with three specifics. The overarching principle is be merciful. And then what he says after that falls under that umbrella. How do you be merciful? Well, don't judge others. That would be the first thing about being merciful. Don't condemn others, which would tie to that, and forgive others. All these fall under being merciful. So I think he's just giving us some more specifics, especially when you consider the Jewish concept of the word mercy. There was a mindset and some lessons, two primary lessons that tied to that word. So if you were a rabbi and you were giving a lecture and you mentioned the word mercy, the Jewish mind would have immediately gone to two concepts. Let me read to you from a, a commentary. The word mercy among the Jews signified two things, the pardon of injuries and almsgiving, giving charity, you know, helping poor people out. And when you look at the context of this sermon, he talks about those things right in this context. He says in verse 29, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. And we talked about that last week. But with this word mercy, it talks about forgiving injury. Just overlook it. It's a minor thing. It ties to the Hebrew word mercy in the context. And then in verse 38, it talks about almsgiving. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I remember the first time, first dozen times I read this passage of Scripture, I didn't understand what he was talking about. Pressed down, shaken together, overflowing. So I wanted to help you understand that so you don't have to wrestle with it like I did. By the way, you know, he said, be merciful. He said, don't judge and you will not be judged. By who? Don't condemn and you won't be condemned. By who? People are going to keep judging you. 
This is about God. He's talking about the kind of mercy you extend to others is the kind of mercy he's going to extend to you. And it's illustrated also in giving. When you give to the poor, God is going to give back to you. So let's just say you decide to feed the hungry. And we'll use these potato chips as an example of feeding the hungry. Now, you would give more, but you can't because it's full. But God says he'll give you more than you give. Kind of shaken together and pressed. You notice as I shake it, it gets smaller and smaller. Look, I got all that room now. Have you ever bought a bag of potato chips or a box of cereal? It's like a third full. You ever wonder why they do that? Well, they fill it. It's just, it settles. You know, it, it gets shipped. It gets, sits in a box. It gets shaken. And next thing you know it, you know, you got more room and Pretty soon the bag's half empty. But he didn't say just shaken. He said even pressed down. Then you can get a lot more in there. Now I know you're saying, Steve, you're crushing the potato chips. Just a little. They still go on the sandwiches quite well like this. I mean, that is what potato chips are for, right? If you've never had potato chips on a sandwich, you haven't lived. And if you really want to go hog wild... Doritos. And for those of you in the Southwest, spicy Cheetos. Just make a sandwich pop. But he doesn't say just shaking together and pressed down, overflowing and pouring into your lap. God says give and it'll be given to you. That's what he meant by that. So we talk about mercy. He mentioned the word in his sermon. The Jewish mindset would have immediately gone to forgiving injury. And I think that ties to turning the other cheek. And to giving. And he says, when you give, God gives back. But not the same amount you give. He presses down, shakes it together, and pours it into your lap, overflowing giving. So I asked the question of Beth Sar Shalom yesterday. I'm going to ask it of you in just a moment. I said, I've talked to a lot of people who, you know, they became Christians and they, then they wrestled with this concept of tithing, giving 10% of their income to God. And that's hard for us to do because that's a lot of money. And we work hard for our money and we're not raised to give. But then we, we become a Christian, our budget doesn't all of a sudden change. Like we can now just get rid of 10% like it's an easy thing to do, nor do we even want to. We have to kind of learn to do it. But I've talked to a lot of people who just decided to be faithful to God, even people with money problems, and they, they decided to start tithing. And shortly after that, their money problems turned around and they were better off than they were before. And so I asked for a show of hands yesterday at Beth Sar Shalom. I said, how many of you have had that experience? And I was shocked at the number of hands that went up, uh, probably three quarters of the room. Let me ask you the same question. How many of you had that experience? Let me see your hands. Wow, same here. It's amazing, isn't it? It shouldn't be amazing. That's what God said. You give, and he'll give you even more back. It's a wonderful and a beautiful thing. It's not like mercenary giving. Hey, if I give, God will give me more. I don't think that's the idea. The idea is you're willing to bless God, honor him with your income, and so he rewards you for honoring him. But let's move away from that for a minute. I want to go on, because Jesus didn't just talk about mercy in the sense of almsgiving, and he didn't just talk about uh, for, for injury. 
That would have gotten everybody's attention because that's what they were used to hearing. But then he talked more about it. And I think that would have gotten their attention even more. Have you ever done something like started a story or a song or a joke, but then changed it partway through, and then it just grabs everybody's attention? How many of you know that hymn, Blessed Assurance? Blessed insurance, profit is mine. Do, do I have it wrong, Jim? <laughs> you got it right. You, you do something that people are familiar with, change it a little, and it really grabs their attention. So I think at this point of his sermon, you know, okay, yeah, he talks about injury, we know that. Yeah, he's talking about giving, we know that. But then he added more. So I can only imagine that the people were paying even closer attention, if that's even possible. In the next verse, he says, Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. In Israel today, driving down the street, and you pull into the wrong neighborhood, and it's Friday night right around sundown. If you're caught driving between sundown Friday night and sundown Saturday night in the wrong village, you can be stoned. Is that legal? No. Is it right? No. Still don't want to be caught there. I had, a, I had a friend tell me a story about how he almost got stoned. And he had to get out and confront the guys and tell them that what they weren't doing wasn't right. And, you know, he's in the wrong neighborhood and he's just trying to go home. And it's horrible. When I hear of a passage of scripture that says, do not judge and you will not be judged, that's what comes to my mind. These people set themselves up as judge, jury, and executioner. Now, I use an example of some ultra-Orthodox crazy people in Israel, but every community has them. And if you think about it, maybe in our culture nobody gets stoned, but don't we judge people and throw verbal stones at them? And, and don't we, like, condemn them in our minds and in our hearts as if we were out there throwing the stones? We do. In every culture. And Jesus says, don't do this. And then he gave a, a, a parable about being judgmental. And he gave a lot of them, but this one happens to be right here. And he says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but pay no attention to the log in your own eye? He said, how can you say to your brother, please, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye. Yet you can't even see the log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. When we judge people, we're hypocrites. This isn't the only passage of Scripture that says people who judge are hypocrites. Let me give you a little of advice and a bit of a warning. If you are offended by somebody and are thinking bad thoughts of them, there's a good chance you're doing the exact same thing they're doing in a different way. We become hypocrites. Don't do it. Jesus said, stop. Examine yourself because you got not a speck in your eye, you got a two by four in your eye. Deal with your own issues so you can see clearly. When we judge others, the last thing we're being is merciful. That's how it ties to the context. He said, Be merciful. Don't judge people. Being judgmental is being a fault finder. That's not merciful, it's just the opposite of being merciful. It's being a condemner, not a forgiver. Instead of being judgmental, we should be merciful. Nobody has to teach us how to be judgmental. But I think most of us don't know what it means. 
If I were to ask you to give a definition of being judgmental, I don't know how many of you'd come up with it. So let me give you a few thoughts on what I think being judgmental is, which covers most of the bases. First of all, real simply, it's one of three things. First of all, jumping to conclusions without having all the facts. Have you ever done that? Let me, let me ask you. Have you ever seen something or heard something, got offended, angry, even mad at somebody, only to find out you didn't have all the facts and now you felt stupid for doing it? If that's been the case in your life, let me see your hand. Woo, almost everybody's hand went up. Now, this is the fun part. You felt like an idiot. You realized you jumped to a conclusion. Sometime in your life, though, it happened again and you did it again. <laughs> What's wrong with us? All right? So let's start fresh. Let's reinvent ourselves. Let's not do that anymore. Let's not jump to conclusions. People do it all the time. Stop. Play Sherlock Holmes. You know? When something happens, there's 10 to 100 possible reasons as to why it happened. Why do we focus in on the negative hurtful one? Don't do that anymore. Don't do that. So, jumping to conclusions without having all the facts, that's one. Being critical of someone based on your own standards, that's the second thing. And three, criticizing or condemning someone for breaking God's standards, that's the third. We're going to look at all three of those, and then yet another category of being a judgmental. First of all, jumping to conclusion, it's not okay. This is what the Bible says. You could even memorize this one. It's from the famous chapter on love. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I want to focus in on that believes all things part. Leon Morris in the Tyndale New Testament commentary says this about believes all things. To see the best in others. This does not mean that love is gullible, but that it does not think the worst. It retains its faith. Love is not deceived, but it's always ready to give the benefit of the doubt. Listen, it's not okay to jump to conclusions. Love does not do that. One paraphrase of that passage says, Love is always supportive, loyal, hopeful, and trusting. So, you got a friend over, visits you, have a good time together, your friend goes home. You're ready to go shopping. You open up your drawer and your $100 isn't there. Where'd it go? Well, obviously your friend took it. No. You, you really think that of your friend? Is those the kind of friends you have? It's not the kinds of friends I have. That's a possibility, of course. But there's about 10 others. Here's what would happen in the Shermet house. Friends come over. I'm missing my $100. Did my friends... Steve, you know you're a forgetful idiot. Your friends didn't take your money. What did you do with it? I don't know. I lost it. I don't know where it is. Honey, have you seen my $100? Yeah. Don't you remember you went shopping last week? Oh, yeah. Thanks, honey. There's always another explanation. And in my house, that's almost always the one. I lost it. I forgot it. It was my bad. <laughs> There's a guy named Ed Muzio. He's the CEO of a, group, of a group called Group Harmonics. And their business is helping businesses improve their productivity and lower stress levels. And while I was looking for illustrations on jumping to conclusions and being judgmental, 
I found something that he presented for his business, and he was very gracious to us. I asked him if I could use it today. He said yes. Uh, we let him know that we stream and we broadcast on TV. Can we use it for there? He said yes. No, no cost, no fee. He's just letting us use it. So I just wanted to give shout out and props to Ed and let you see how he deals with this concept of jumping to conclusions. Hi, I'm Edward Musio, CEO of Group Harmonics, and I'm going to tell you how the ladder of inference creates bad judgment. Have you ever gotten yourself in trouble by jumping to conclusions based upon what you saw in someone else's behavior? It happens more often than many of us realize. As a way of explaining this, Harvard business professor Chris Argerus defined what he called the ladder of inference, a set of six rungs on a metaphorical ladder that we climb to get from what we see to what we believe and what we do about it. Down here on the bottom rung is the first level. This is called observable data. Observable data is everything we might capture in a situation if we we're capturing it with a camera. So let's say you're at a staff meeting with five of your employees. One of them is giving a presentation, pointing at the board. One of them is shifting in her chair, checking her Blackberry. One of them is taking notes, etc. All of that is observable data. From there, you move to the next rung, which is selected data. It's too much data to process, so you select some of that data and you ignore the rest. Let's say you choose to focus in on the employee who's shifting in her chair, checking her watch, and checking her BlackBerry. From there, you move to the next rung, which is assumptions. Assumptions are where you start to add meaning. You might look at her and say, she seems uncomfortable. From there, you move to conclusions, the next rung. You might say, I think she's uncomfortable because there's something she doesn't want to say or doesn't want to share. Now, if you see that behavior a couple times, you might go to the next level, which is beliefs. Beliefs are what you come to think about the situation. You might come to believe that this employee doesn't share forthrightly when she has something to say. And if you believe that, you'll probably take action. You'll probably go off and do something, like start to ask her more questions directly to elicit those things she's just not saying. Now, why does this create bad judgment? The problem is there are two recursive loops here. The first one is from beliefs down to selected data. Our beliefs lead us to choices about which data we select. If you think this employee is untrustworthy, you're going to look at the data that proves it to you you're going to ignore the data that doesn't. That's a recursive loop. The second loop goes from actions down to observable data. The actions you take, like asking her more questions in staff meetings, lead to situations, like chances for her to get uncomfortable, which lead you to more observable data in which she looks uncomfortable. Obviously, what you want to do is get in the habit of moving down the ladder. To do this, there are two simple rules. First, question your assumptions and your conclusions. So if you're seeing something in this employee that you've come to an assumption or a conclusion that she doesn't want to share something, ask yourself, what else could be going on? What data did I select? What data did I avoid? What else might have been going on that I couldn't see at all? Seek contrary data, even if you have to make it up. For example, maybe she was looking at her BlackBerry and checking her clock because she had an important deadline on the other project that's even more important to the company than yours. Maybe it had nothing to do with you at all. There's nothing wrong with starting with observable data and drawing conclusions. You have to do that, but you don't want to get caught in recursive loops where the actions you're taking are based upon your own assumptions and nothing else. So whether it's by yourself or with a trusted colleague, get in the habit of questioning your assumptions. When you do, you'll be less likely to make bad judgments. Very intelligent way 
of looking at jumping to conclusions. So judging is one of three things. The first is jumping to conclusions, and it's just not okay. The second thing is being critical of someone based on our own standards, and that's not okay either. The Bible says this about that. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but do not argue with them about their personal opinions. Some people's faith allows them to eat anything, but the person who is weak in faith eats only vegetables. Now, the person who will eat anything is not to despise the one who doesn't, while the one who eats only vegetables is not to pass judgment on the one who will eat anything, for God has accepted that person. Who are you to judge the servants of someone else? We all have opinions about pretty much everything, but it's not okay to get on people for theirs because they're not our servants. Let God deal with them, whether they're right or wrong. You might be having a log sticking out of your eye. You don't see clearly. You don't know anyway who's right or wrong. You may think they're wrong when it's you who are wrong. Has that ever happened before? You already said it has at least twice. It happens. So just back off. Let God deal with it. It's not okay to jump to conclusions. It's not okay to be critical of someone based on your own standards. And thirdly, it's not okay to condemn someone for breaking God's standards either. Listen to what the Bible says. God is the only lawgiver and judge. He alone can save and destroy. Who do you think you are to judge someone else? Whoa. Talk about it in your face statement. Who do you think you are? Nobody. That should be the right response. Because when we start judging people, we're acting like God. He's the judge. So if we start judging, we're acting like God. That's borderline heresy, blasphemy, and every other for me out there. That's bad news. You don't want to do that. Judging is not a good thing. Let God do it. He's the only one who's impartial anyway. He's the only one who can do it fairly. And he's the only one who knows what he's about. Up to a certain extent. Because there are two types of judging. There's evil judging, and that's the kind we've been talking about all morning so far. But there's another kind. There is a righteous kind of judging. And we're actually commanded to do that kind. Um, if I had more time, I would talk about just the decisions we make in day-to-day -day life. They're judgment calls. You know? Even as simple as hmm, I don't think I'm going to walk into that restaurant based on the look of all those vehicles parked out front. Now, I don't know for sure that everybody who drives a chopper is going to murder me. <laughs> but biker bars have a reputation of not being friendly places for people like me. So I might go in there and have a great time. But I'm not going to. Just in case. It's a judgment call, isn't it? Yeah, you've you got to make judgment calls to make a living. But I want to talk to you more about these two categories, correct judging and incorrect judging. Under correct judging, listen to what Jesus said, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Jesus told his disciples, judge righteous judgment. Now, on the other side, he said, stop judging so that you won't be judged. People get confused. He contradicted himself. No, he didn't. There's two kinds of judging. There's bad judging, which we should never do. Stop. Get the log out of your eye. Yada, yada, yada. Don't do that kind of judging. But there's another kind of judging that we're required to do. Righteous judgment. 
So we're going to look at both kinds, and hopefully by the time I'm done, you'll have a handle, at least a general idea of the two categories. Let's look at correct judging first. Correct judging deals with facts, not appearances, not feelings, not opinions. It deals with facts. Deuteronomy 19, 15, and 18. One witness is not enough to convict a man accused of any crime. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. The judges must make a thorough investigation. So, a thorough investigation. I'm watching TV. You all saw this too. Armed white guy murders unarmed teenage, black teenager. Film at 11. And for the next several weeks, this guy, this evil, racist swine of a human being, was lambasted throughout the media of killing this poor, innocent guy because he was black and a teenager at that. Poor, helpless, nice guy. That's what the media said. You saw it all the time. Then it goes to court, and the guy gets off free. Let me tell you something. When I heard the guy shot the guy, what I understood is somebody shot somebody. Let's wait and see what the jury determines to see if it was a righteous shooting or not. I don't know. Maybe he shot him because he was a racist pig. Maybe he shot him because the guy was trying to kill him. I don't know. But how dare they jump to that conclusion without knowing all the facts and then tell the whole country that this guy is a racist pig who murders teenagers because of their color. And then after the guy got off, do all these news agencies and, oh, we're sorry, he was really a good guy. He was being beaten to death and he ended up defending himself. We're sorry, we misinformed you. No, the lawyers were bad. The law was bad. The jury was bad. So here we are, CNN, Fox News, or whoever was doing it. We don't know the facts. We don't know what happened. We turn it over to some fair-minded American citizens, some professional attorneys and judges. They handle it just right. And we still get mad at them for not doing it right. Like we know. Like we were there. When Jesus said, one witness is not enough to convict a man. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. The judges must make a thorough investigation. This is correct judging. What CNN did, Fox or whoever lambasted this poor guy, that's an example of incorrect judging. Case in point on how the Bible still matters today. Correct judging deals with facts. Incorrect judging deals with appearances, feelings, and assumptions. And that's what happened there. Jesus said, judge not according to the appearance. You can't do that. We're not allowed to just jump in there and make an opinion based on how something looks. So you're driving down the street and you see a guy holding a rifle at another man. What do you do? Somebody told me, well, you're driving, run him over. <laughs> that would work. But then I asked, this is a true story, then I asked the next question. But why would you run him over? Is it illegal to hold a gun on somebody? What if that guy just tried to mug him and he took the gun from him? And now you run him over. You let the mugger go and the innocent guy you just killed. We can't judge based on appearances. We have to judge righteous judgment. Correct judging is fact-finding. Incorrect judging is fault-finding. It's a big difference between the two. All right, so 
Correct judging, incorrect judging. Correct judging is fact finding. Incorrect judging is fault finding. Correct judging deals with the facts. Incorrect judging deals with the appearances. Number two, correct judging is fair and impartial. Listen again to what Moses said. Do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of any man, for judgment belongs to God. Bring me any case too hard for you, and I'll hear it. So Moses told the people he appointed as judges, don't be partial, be impartial. If somebody's poor and ignorant, you listen to them just as much as somebody who's wealthy and educated. You've seen the the statue that we have in America with Lady Justice holding the scales and she's blindfolded. That's the idea. Justice is impartial. It's blindfolded. It doesn't look at your income. It doesn't look at your education. It doesn't look at your skin color. It just deals with facts. It's impartial. But when we're guilty of incorrect judging, we do show partiality. And this is a sin. It's wrong. James 2.9. If you show partiality, you're committing sin. Straight up. Third thing, back to the correct judging side. A correct judge actually has the authority and the right to judge. He or she has been appointed. Deuteronomy 19, 17 through 18. Uh, The two men involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and the judges who are in office at that time. And the judges must make a thorough investigation. So these people who are judging actually have the right to judge. That's what they're there for. But incorrect judging, these are self-appointed judges. Back to the guys who will stone you in Jerusalem for driving your car on the Sabbath. Well, wait a minute. Who made them judge, jury, and executioner? They just appointed themselves. And you see this in all these cultures, you know, these anarchists and these rioters and all these crazy people. They just think they've got the right to tell everybody how to do everything and they just grab firebombs and choose to do it. Incorrect judging. We do the exact same thing. There was a pastor of another church in another city that was, the news was saying something bad about him. So somebody came up to me and said, what do you think, Steve? He said, I don't know the guy and it's not my church. I have no opinion. Not my business. Just not my thing. How, well, why should I have an opinion on this? I don't know the, the facts. I don't know the guy. I don't know the church. You know, I wasn't saying this, but I guess it would have been a nice way of saying, mind your own business. No, I don't have an opinion on this. We're not supposed to. I'm not the judge in that case. Now, if we have a problem in this church, it, it is my business. But it's not my business in somebody else's church. Brothers, do not slander or speak ill of one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment. The law here refers to the law of God. Okay, so let me read that to you again. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law of God and judges the law of God. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver, only one judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? See, but Steve, they've broken biblical principles. Let me tell you about a biblical principle that was broken. One person ever lived on this planet never did anything wrong. They tried him, condemned him, tortured him, crucified him. Up on the cross, 
What did he say? Father, forgive them. They know what, not what they do. But they broke God's law. They committed murder. They should, fire should have come down and consumed them all. That would have been right. Says you, with a stick sticking out of your eyeball. Says the only righteous judge on the planet. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. See, even when there's right and wrong, obvious is the nose on my face, which is pretty obvious. <laughs> we still don't know right from wrong. Because mercy is right, too. We don't know what we're doing. There are times where we, we're forced to make decisions. We have to. But we got to do it with real caution and grace, real wisdom and mercy. And let me tell you something. If you're not appointed judge, thank God and back out. Because you don't want that burden. It's a heavy burden to bear, and you don't want it. You'll sleep a lot better at night if you're not judging people in your brain. All right, so let me wrap it up. Righteous judges deal with facts, not feelings or appearances. Righteous judges are fair, and they're impartial. Unrighteous judges are biased. Righteous judges are appointed and have a recognized authority and right to judge. Unrighteous judges are self-appointed. And the only thing I didn't have time to go into, and it's not unimportant, I just didn't get into it, is this idea of making decisions in your own life, which you have to do. You have to make judgments. Let's say, for example, um, you pick up a, a flyer on the ground and it tells you about Jesus, and you go home and you read the Bible and you become saved. You give your life to Jesus. Now you've got to find a church. Well, how do you know a good church from a bad church? Well, you better pray, of course. But you're going to have to make a judgment call. I'm picking a church. Now, when you're young in the Lord, your judgment isn't going to be the best, but the Holy Spirit, I'm sure, will take care of you. And as you get older in the Lord, things might change. You know, you might attend a church, for example. Pastor might resign. A new pastor might come in. And he just might not be a good guy. It does happen. You've got to make the judgment as to whether or not you're going to stay in that church. It's a hard decision to make. On the one hand, you don't want to be judgmental. But on the other hand, this is your soul, your life, and you've got to willingly submit to this man's authority and leadership. And he may not be the man whose authority and leadership you want to sit under. You make judgment calls into choosing your friends, which you should. You've got to choose good friends, good, wholesome, godly people, not people who are going to steal $100 out of your drawer when they come over to visit. <laughs> you have to decide who good people are. There's nothing wrong with making that decision. So there is some good judging that you have to do too. But you'll notice it has to do with what impacts your life and your behavior, not what impacts somebody else's life and their behavior. We are called to love one another. To be merciful, we have to be forgiving, non-judgmental and non-condemning. And remember I told you, be merciful. That little table I gave you, that chart, don't judge others, don't condemn others and forgive others. James, Jesus' brother, said this, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. The only true judge, the one with the authority to condemn, the one who can throw people to hell, is the one who died for our sins and said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. He, above all things, is looking for any and every excuse to forgive you. Give him the opportunity. Repent of your sins. 
Tell him you're sorry and that you pledge to follow him for the rest of your day. And watch the judge of the universe take all of your sins and just dismiss them in the name of Jesus. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, I think we understand now what being judgmental is all about. Now we've got to apply it, and that's the hard part. We've got a history of living a certain way, and now we've got to change our ways. And we can't do it in our own strength. And so I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit to give us the ability to change who we are, to reinvent ourselves, to be loving, merciful people who believe all things, give the benefit of the doubt, that don't jump to conclusions. And don't judge people based on our standards or yours, but we leave the judgment to those who have the right to judge. Help us to be good, godly people, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.